welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, everybody. This is Usman Hashmi, one of the cardiothoracic fellows at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. And I'm here today with Dr. Clifton Lewis. He's an associate professor of surgery and chief of adult cardiac surgery at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Today, we're going to talk about robotic cardiac surgery. Dr. Lewis himself has performed over 15,000 cardiac operations in his career, and 2,500 of them have been minimally invasive operations, with the large majority being robot-assisted. Dr. Lewis, thank you for your participation to our TSRA series of podcasts. Happy to help us, man. Thank you, Dr. Lewis. Robotic surgery applied in the cardiothoracic surgery field is something new. And although there's more experience with robotic general thoracics, robotic cardiac surgery is a new and evolving field. What robotic operations can you perform in cardiac surgery? Cardiac so surgery. The first thing is actually robotic mitral valve repair was uh, the first um, FDA-approved uh, application for the robot, and I think it came was approved in 2001. Thoracic surgery actually followed that uh, by a number of years, but what's interesting is there's been a much more rapid uh, application or uptake by the thoracic surgery, the thoracic surgeons, and, and the less rapid with cardiac surgeons. Uh, uh, currently, uh, we're doing robotic mitral valve uh, repair and replacement, tricuspid valve repair and replacement, repair of ASDs, excision of intracardiac tumors, um, uh, uh, maze procedures, either concomitant or standalone. We do some coronary bypass operations, uh, not a very large number, but we uh, certainly do some, and then a smattering of other things. What is the advantage of robot-assisted cardiac surgery versus, say, traditional open cardiac surgery, or even other forms of minimally invasive cardiac surgery like a mini thoracotomy, MVR? So uh, from a surgeon's uh, point of view, I think the, the biggest advantage to a, a robotic approach uh, are, are really two things. One is the, the visibility is superior. Um, when you're doing um, a, a mitral valve operation, whether it's the sternal incision or you're doing it through the right chest, a lot of times you get in your own way, specifically your hands or your instruments. Um, and if you use a robot camera and set up the uh, ports appropriately, you can really stay out of your own way a lot better and you can see a lot better. And I think that facilitates repair. Uh, there's also some more freedom of, of movement because of the, uh, the, the extra degrees of freedom that uh, the robotic arms ha- uh, have. But I believe that's the primary advantage from a surgeon's point of view. From a patient's point of view, the advantages are the following. This is specifically for mitral valve surgery, and that is they return to, to function a lot quicker. You can go back to normal activities in two weeks as opposed to six to eight weeks for sternal incision. Uh, they're co- it's cosmetically superior. There tends to be um, uh, a lower incidence of transfusion, and there's a lot lower incidence of uh, significant um, uh, wound infections. And indeed, wound infections are much easier to treat than they are when they involve the sternum. What would you say is a learning curve for young surgeons? And do you think it's an essential step to pass through some other forms of minimally invasive cardiac surgery first and master those? So I, I think that if you want to learn how to do this, I think the first thing you have to do is learn how to be a surgeon. Uh, then you have to learn how to be a heart surgeon. Then you have to learn how to be a mitral valve surgeon. 
Uh, and then you have to learn how to be a minimally invasive slash robotic surgeon. I do not believe that you have to do um, a minimally inv- uh, a non-robotic minimally invasive operation first. I think most people try it that way. Uh, is it helpful? I'm not sure. Um, I think the key thing is you need to know your way around the bypass machine. You need to know how it works and when it's not working and how to troubleshoot it. And you need to develop the uh, skills and the sort of sixth sense of knowing when a pump is and isn't working by looking through a very small hole. And I actually think that learning curve is a really a prolonged one. I think if you do it right, you divide your learning curves, and it can take years to learn how to do this. I think the mistake that is made not infrequently is trying to have too young, too inexperienced uh, a, a surgeon that do this too early on in their career. I think the other thing that you need is you need to have um, a department, a division, a hospital that dedicates their resources um, to uh, helping you develop a, a consistent, stable team to do a robotic operation. This, I think all heart operations that are done well are done uh, by a team approach. I think the idea that a heart surgeon does it by itself is just plain stupid. I think that you, a, a good team always makes a surgeon look better and it is absolutely required when you're doing a, a minimally invasive and robotic approaches to have consistent teams, a, a consistent perfusionist, consistent anesthesia, consistent scrubs, and most importantly, a stable, consistent tableside surgeon. Let's go into a little bit of specifics about robotic cardiac surgery. What is the preoperative planning and how does your workup differ from your traditional open repair? Are there any different criteria? Uh, there are some. Uh, I, you start with a basic uh, workup. If you're going to repair somebody's mitral valve and they're the age that we typically see people, you're going to need um, a, a, a TTE, a TEE, um, and then a heart catheterization. And that basically uh, lets you isolate the disease to the mitral valve or the mitral tricuspid valve. In other words, it excludes the presence of aortic valve disease coronary disease and aortic disease, and those would be um, either exclusions from a a right chest, minimally invasive robotic approach, or you'd have to do some sort of hybridization, which I wouldn't advise early on. Uh, And then once you you know you've isolated the disease to the mitral valve, then you've got to see if you can find a reason that it would be unsafe to do a right chest approach. So you would do a CT angiogram to exclude the presence of significant aortoiliac disease, which would make peripheral cannulation problematic. You want to look for evidence of prior right chest trauma, whether that's um, 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 in the hospital by the hands of a surgeon or um, some other type of accident. Um, uh, Body habitus that that might uh, exclude it, uh, whether you're really morbidly obese or have a deep pectus. So a good history and physical should help you along with a CTA. What cannulas do you use? What is your cannulation strategy and cardioplegia and port access? So our basic for a routine isolated mitral valve operation is femoral cannulation. And we typically have used an aortic clamp clamping technique using the intraaortic balloon occlusion device. That's currently been pulled from the market on a recall by the FDA. In its absence, uh, we're using an external clamp. Uh, 
and then using uh, cardioplegia delivered uh, through an angiocath uh, uh, inserted through the chest wall. Uh, if it's a, a short operation, uh, and most of the simple P2s are short, our clamp times are running somewhere between 40 and 60 minutes. We use one shot of one liter of Del Nido. If it's going to be a long clamp time, uh, perhaps, perhaps a double valve, a mitral tricuspid, uh, or somebody with pulmonary hypertension, somebody with the right or left ventricular dysfunction, uh, then we will typically um, uh, redose. It is easier to redose if you have a balloon than if you have to maintain a catheter in the uh, ascending aorta. I like Del Nido cardioplegia. It simplified the operation because we don't have to uh, put in uh, retrograde cannulas. Uh, and if we, we think it's safe to do that, then we use uh, Del Nido. Uh, there are certain instances where you can't use it, and I've mentioned some of those. Redo, uh, redo operations, another example. Focusing on mitral valve surgery, what are the different techniques do you use for repair versus replacement robotically? So if you look at repair, um, I, I don't really ascribe to the one specific uh, technique. Um, there are some adherents uh, uh, to the uh, French correction, some to the American correction. But we really combine all techniques. I've called it the redneck correction because we use uh, what works. And if you look at what would be perhaps our most common operation, which is P2 prolapse or flail, we combine a small triangular resection with neocords to the prolapsing segment and then a band annuloplasty. And that combination has really proved pretty effective, not only eliminating the mitral insufficiency, but really as prevention of postoperative SAM, which is frequently the Achilles heel of a good repair. Uh, I think the combination shortens the height of the posterior leaflet and if you can maintain a, a, a two to one um, or two-thirds, one-thirds uh, contribution of the anterior and uh, posterior leaflet to coaptation uh, uh, or the uh, orifice of the mitral valve, I think you're very likely, unlikely to have SAM. Um, when you get to mitral valve replacement, it does change the operation, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is you have to have an incision that's large enough to get uh, uh, the prosthesis through. And the other issue is what you call suture management. If you're doing a repair, you can secure the, the stitches as you go on a band. But when we're replacing it, unless you run it, it is very hard to uh, secure uh, interrupted plagiated sutures on a mitral valve to replace it. So those stitches typically are placed, they're exteriorized, then passed through the valve, then the valve is, prosthesis is seated, and then they're secured all at once. I would tell you that that is a lot harder to do than a repair. So if you're uh, learning how to do this, I would try not to do replacements with a robot initially. I think it's a much harder operation than a repair. How does your operative strategy change when you perform a concomitant tricuspid repair? And what's your approach to the tricuspid valve and how do you isolate the right atrium? Also, do you try to do this on a beating heart or an arrested heart? So if you're going to do any operation that gets you on the right side of the heart, you have to have bicaval cannulation. Uh, and typically ours is uh, percutaneous, both from the groin uh, for the IVC and through the neck um, uh, for the SVC. We have the anesthesiologist put a, an angiocath in the base of the neck through the right IJ, prep it in the field, and then when we cannulate, we put a 15 French Medtronic arterial cannula and extend that by Y 
to the um, uh, groin uh, femoral venous catheter. If it's uh, first time isolated tricuspid valve, we don't clamp, uh, but we do isolate the KV with tapes, and then uh, we open the right atrium, repair it, and close it in a, in a non-arrested heart. If it's a redo operation, we do not isolate the uh, KV. We pull the cannulas back into the respective KV. We frequently have a balloon catheter in the right atrium that we will blow up and plug the um, SVC right atrial junction. We rarely have to do anything uh, to exclude the IVC. We take a bovi and we bovi right through the pericardium into the right atrium and then repair the uh, valve with the heart beating. If you're doing a concomitant operation, then you're going to be clamping the aorta because you're on the, the left side. And uh, we, um, uh, as in most cases, uh, as in all other operations, whether you're done through the sternum or a minimally invasive one, you do the left side first. So we clamp the aorta, arrest the heart, get in the left atrium, repair, replace the mitral valve, close the left atrium, and then uh, open the right atrium after we've um, isolated the cavity and repair, replace the tricuspid valve. Whether you, uh, when you take the clamp off of the aorta in that uh, circumstance is really dictated by times and uh, need for plegia. Um, if we have a short clamp time, uh, we'll typically repair the valve, then close the right atrium with the clamp off. If we have an extended clamp time, uh, then we'll take the clamp off while, uh, uh, before we repair the tricuspid valve. How about the maze procedure? Can this be performed robotically as a standalone or concomitant, and how do you apply the atrial clip? So, uh, first thing is a clip. Uh, we put an atrial clip, uh, an atrial clip uh, on every single uh, first-time uh, robotic operation we do, or mitral valve operation we do. We uh, apply it through the transverse sinus. We've uh, applied more than uh, 500 of those, I think. Uh, we've not had any, uh, we've had one instance of bleeding, uh, and it was actually from the epicardium. We've had a couple of times where they're scarred and adhesed and we can't apply the clamp, but as a general rule, we've had a high uh, degree of success and it only takes about a minute. And uh, what you do is after you're on pump and the pericardium's open, you look through the transverse sinus, make sure there are no adhesions, and then you use two cartiers and the, um, a, the uh, clip comes through the working port. Uh, you drop your flow to a liter, you uh, put it over the appendage, uh, and then clip it. In terms of um, the maze procedure itself, if somebody needs a concomitant maze, we do it, and they're all done with cryo. Um, it's hard to use uh, a bipolar RF clamp through the robotic approach, so we've, uh, uh, for the most part, limited ourselves to a uh, cryoablation. We use a full lesion set. What is the usual post-operative course for these robotic patients, and are there any specific considerations? So if it's a, an isolated and routine uh, P2 flail, which is what you hope you get, um, uh, hopefully the uh, post-operative stay is no more than about three or four days. It depends a little bit on the health of the patient. But the, uh, the demographic you want, which is young and healthy, they typically are here about three or four days. I would, I would say in terms of monitoring them in the uh, post-operative unit, the differences are frequently they come back to the ICU extubated. So early on, they've got to have a, um, a, a nurse that knows how to do a good pain control and not take, take care of a wake patient instead of a sleeping one. I think it's also, if you do have bleeding post-op, it's sometimes harder to determine. Um, uh, sometimes the chest tubes won't drain quite as well. I mean, you may have a delayed uh, awareness of that bleeding. 
if you if you think they're bleeding and you don't see chest tube drainage, you get a chest X-ray, and uh, if you see hemothorax, those people should be taken back promptly to the operating room. You should have limited bleeding, and if you have more than just a very minor amount, uh, they need to be re-explored. Where do you see the future of robotic cardiac surgery going? So I don't really know what's going to happen to robotic heart surgery, and the reason I say that is that. The same guys that have been doing this have been doing it. There have been very few new programs added in the last five years in particular. But uh, those of us that started 12 or 13 years ago, we're still the same guys doing it. We may do a few more, but we haven't added a whole lot of sites. And I I think it's probably multifactorial as to why, Um, but um, it, it is the issue really is probably who's doing it and how well supported it is whether it's by the hospital or by the program i think you typically need a more mature surgeon that embarks on this uh, and most mature surgeons really are comfortable you know, with the way they're doing it and the and the, they already have good results if you already have good results through the sternum sometimes it's a challenge to make yourself learn a new technique and I, I think if you look at the data, there's no data that's anywhere that suggests that a robotic approach lowers uh, mortality. The mortality is already low. So it, unless someone has a burning desire to do it, uh, I think it's a challenge to get the surgeon to do it. Now, patients, patients really want minimally invasive approaches to their heart surgery. Um, but heart surgery is already complex, and I think getting a surgeon to make it more complex is a, is a, is a high bar. Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for your time and sharing with us your ex- expertise in robotic cardiac surgery. Thank you.